Welcome to this week's episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. I have a few announcements. First, don't forget to sign up for Thriving in the Face of Breast Cancer Retreat coming up on Saturday, February 6th. Join us for just one session or all four sessions. You can find more information on the Virtual Retreat Series tab at BehindThePinkRibbon.com. Second, I want to make all of my listeners aware of the fact that I'm going to make a shift in the frequency of the podcast. I will be going back to school in the very near future and will have to dedicate more time to my studies. Also, if you haven't seen my most recent post on Instagram, I would like to get to know you and for you to get to know me on a more personal level than just the podcast fan page. Please follow me on Instagram at madams1775, M-A-D-A-M-S 1775. And most importantly, I want to hear from you, my listeners, on what you love about the podcast, what you would like to hear more of, what topics you would like to discuss, and any questions that you might have for me. So please send me an email at podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. On to the show. This week, my guest is Monica Castillo. In 2015, at the age of 38, Monica was diagnosed with stage 2B triple negative invasive ductal carcinoma. She talked about her prior history with cervical dysplasia, an extensive family history of other cancers, finding the lump, and her course of treatments. Monica shared why it was so important for her to participate in a clinical trial, celebrating her five-year anniversary, and setting boundaries with family and friends. Take a listen in as Monica shares her story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. Thanks for being on the show with me today, Monica. It's so nice to have you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the beginning of your story. So how did you even find that you had breast cancer? Ooh, um, I was actually working and I was serving tables at the time. And it was one of those things where I felt like my underwire was bent. I know that sounds crazy of my bra. And I like, remember, I, I kept tugging and I went into the bathroom and I like tried to bend it in the other direction. It just kept rubbing the same spot. And, you know, I get home at like two o'clock in the morning, go to sleep, wake up the next morning. And I was like, man, that wire is still bothering me. And I remember thinking, because I was half asleep, like, you're not wearing your bra. Oh. And I remember feeling that area, and I felt the lump okay. um, very distinctly. And Were I you remember still just, sleeping, like half asleep at that point? or I was like, kind of like, yeah, like I was like half awake, and then like, you know, like my eyes opened, and I like got up in bed, and then I like felt it, and I was like, oh, all right. And so I went and took a shower, and did a whole nother exam on both sides. And it was like, it was definitely there and, um, called my doctor 
uh, I think it was maybe like a Friday night, I called my doctor, left a message on the answering machine, and she had me in her office Monday morning. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So she, I mean, good for her. I, um, you know, the first question I got was, you know, are you having your period? Um, yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm glad that she at least immediately got you in um, to see. Yeah. So did you, did you think anything like, oh my gosh, this is breast cancer? Did like... Yeah, that's actually like the first place my okay. my head went. Um, when I was, let's backtrack, when I was 32, um, I had cervical dysplasia, which is now considered stage zero cervical cancer. Yeah. Um, they caught it in time, you know, removed the cervix. And I've never tested positive for HPV. Um, my maternal grandmother died of kidney cancer. My maternal paternal grandmother died of breast cancer and my um, uncle on my dad's side died of stomach cancer. So we're very active and, you know, proactive about if there's anything wrong or out of the ordinary, go see the doctor. Um, So that's definitely the first place my brain went. So like when I like started to feel it and realized it was a lump and I like shot up out of bed, I was like, maybe it's not, maybe it'll go down. Maybe it's something, you know, like, and took a shower and like, try to relax for a minute. And like an hour later, I'm like, nope, it's, it's still there. Yeah, it's absolutely. And I had had, um, what do you call it? like cysts, like mm-hmm. fibroid cysts, you know? Um, but for some reason, this one was really different. And I went down to Tucson over the weekend. My family lives in Tucson and my dad and I were at Home Depot and I was leaving. I was coming back to Phoenix when we were in the parking lot. And I remember telling him, I was like, I don't know why I have to tell you, but I have to tell you, like, I found a lump. I'm going on Monday to get checked. And I've been through numerous, you know, fibroids, but for some reason, like, I needed my family to know, like, I just knew, like, in my guttural instincts, I knew. Yeah. And it's amazing to me how many people say that, you know, they just felt something in their gut that that's what it was. Um, And I have to be honest with you, I probably had never touched my breasts as much as I did as the time between when I found my lump and when I actually went in to be seen. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You're like, is it still there? Am I going to check it? Is it still there? Is it growing? Is it smaller? Yeah. That's exactly it. That was exactly what I kept doing. I'm like, okay, they think it's related to my period. You know, I never had this before, but I'm going to, you know, hope that's what it is. And yeah, I just kept checking. So I, I totally get it. Um, so, you know, you were, you were 38 when this happened. Were, had you ever had a mammogram up to this point? So that is I, the ironic part. My primary care doctor, which she is the best. She's been with me through cervical dysplasia. She's been with me through heart surgery. Um, so that's why she gets me in so quickly. Like she's a very proactive doctor and 40 is the marker, you know? Mm -hmm. And she was like, Hey, what do you think we should do? Like, should we do an early mammogram? How do you feel about that? Um, and I'm like, I'm all for it. So let's do it. And we would have done my mammogram in March that year. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, we would have we would have done it early. So we would have, I mean, technically found it, but mm-hmm. it definitely would have been bigger by then. Right. Okay. So then I'm assuming she sent you for a diagnostic mammogram at that point. So we did. Yep. Yeah, we um, she like comes in, feels it, calls, you know, 
she actually did all the calling. She's like, I got you in. She's like, we're not even going to mess around. Like, so they did the mammogram. Um, and of course, you know, when you, you have the technicians and the technicians were like, um, we're going to be right back. And I'm like, that's never a good sign. Right. Or when they bring the doctor in. When they're like staring at their screen and they're like whispering to each other and they're like, we're going to be right back. And so (laughs) the doctor comes in and he's like, you know, there's, there's definitely something there. Like, I'm not telling you something you don't already know. Um, And then they did the ultrasound and they were like, you know, everything points to it being a tumor. We don't know what kind, you know, they do try to lay it to you gently. Like, you know, because we don't know until we don't know. Um, exactly. And they're like, let's get you in for a biopsy. And I think I was in for a biopsy the next day or the day after. Oh, wow. Like it moved. It yeah, moved fast. Did. Like all my doctors. Yeah. I mean, that was super quick. That is really fast. Um, um, so and there was biopsy and positive for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So who who was the... Um, who was the person that called you to tell you that you had, that it was breast cancer? So the physician's assistant in my primary care's office, who I had a great relationship with, um, was the one who I saw initially in the office on Monday morning. And her name is Christine. She was fantastic. And she um, felt the lump called my doctor in, you know, we all three of us sat and talked and she's the one who told me. And I remember having a couple of friends were like, I can't believe your doctor didn't take over. And I was like, no, like, cause I know my doctor. Well, I was like, my doctor let the physician's assistant handle her patient from beginning to end. Yeah. Like she wasn't definitely wasn't pushing me off by any means, but if Christine was the one who received me as her patient, she was going to let Christine own me as her patient. Okay. And I really, I respected that. And I had a good relate, like, had I not had a good relationship with both of them, it would might've been different, but she was great. And I, I remember somebody actually just asked me this yesterday, like, how did they tell you? And they actually told me on the phone, not because I wouldn't come in, but because we had played telephone tag probably six times back oh and gosh. forth like, you know, trying to connect with each other. And she was like, you know, I'd really like you to come in so we can discuss your results. And I was like, I really just need you to tell me because you would have already left a message. Yeah. I feel like at that point, (laughs) yeah, you know, uh, that many phone calls, there's something, you know, it's not like, oh, you know, everything is clear. And then, you know, we'll see you next year or whatever. Um, Yeah. Yeah. If so they I like calling. made her tell me, like, I think so many people like, I can't believe they did that. I was like, no, I, I made her at that point. I was like, I'm, you know. Well, and I feel it. like, you know, everybody's so different in terms of how they want to receive information. I feel like, yes. you know, email should not be an option, but I feel like at least, nope. you know, coming in or having a phone call, you know, should be given yeah. as an option to the patient. Um, yeah. You know, cause. And you I know, do think it's, a relationship with your doctor. You know, I oh, was absolutely. very comfortable with my doctor in their office. So, yeah. you know, some people are like, I can't believe they they did that and they didn't get you in. I was like, I refused at that point. 
Yeah. I was like, I'm not coming in so you can like, I can melt down your office when I can like melt down where I'm standing. Right. Yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't. And I think you're right. Um, I think if, I think if the person that I was working with at my gynecologist office had been the person to call me, maybe I would feel different about it, but I didn't know the person that called me. I had never even actually uh-huh. seen the person that called me. Um, okay. You know, not once it was just a, it was a, I guess, randomly selected doctor at the, at the um, clinic who was available yeah. to make the phone call. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of interesting. So you, were you at home by yourself? Um, you know, oh, was kind man. Of your so I had just gotten to work. Um, oh, no. I was, so I was serving tables at the time. Um, I had stepped down from, I was on an executive team um, for a restaurant group here in the Valley, and I had stepped down to start my own business plan. So I was negotiating. I was actually waiting for the final draft of my lease to open my own restaurant and serving was just the easiest thing. It's super flexible. It's good money. And I had gotten to work. I don't remember why I was at work that morning. Um, I wasn't working. Maybe I was picking up tips, but, um, and I was outside when that phone call hit and, and, and it was such a small team of people. Like everyone knew that I had found something everyone knew that I was going to the doctors. And so like full meltdown, you know, kind of outside and like a little bench that we all hang out at, you know, when we're taking a break. And um, in retrospect, it was a blessing in disguise because I am single and I do live alone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your work becomes like your family, yeah. especially in the restaurant industry. And so to have like a friend of mine who is actually my age and has a daughter and to have like my team of people, my tribe, they were really my tribe and they really got me through, um, took care of me really well during that time. And so it was not a negative thing that I happened to be at work when I got the news. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad for that. Um, you know, that, that you did have that group of people to surround you at that moment. Um, you know, cause I, I think about the people that, you know, I was single as well when I was diagnosed and, um, you know, I just, I think about those people, right. That they, yeah, they're, you know, sitting at home or whatever, and they are just surrounded by four walls and they get the phone call and there's nobody, there's nobody there. Like that just, yeah, that just hurts my heart to even think about. Um, Mine too. yeah, because it's, I mean, getting a cancer diagnosis in itself is a very lonely experience, even though you've got all of these people around you who have been through, you know, breast cancer or even, you know, like you said, your family, there was, you know, you had some family members that went through cancer. It is still a very lonely experience and, you know, being single can be lonely sometimes too. So, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, so I'm glad that you had them. So what was, um, what was the recommended course of treatment? Um, So my, just based on the size of my tumor, and I forget like what the the centimeters were, but it was basically the size of a large gumball-ish. And so my primary care was like, well, let's get you to a surgeon. And I didn't know. And I think that that's one of the most chaotic things because you like, you really don't know who you're seeing. Like, I knew I was going to see a doctor. I didn't wrap my head around that it was a surgeon. Mm-hmm. Then I had an oncologist. Like, there's just so many doctors yes. <laughs> and yes. nurses. And and um, she's like, let's get you in the results because of the size of your tumor um, over to 
the doctor and I saw uh, Linda Liu. She's up um, in Scottsdale and she's love her. I love all my team, but there's one thing that I love. It's my team. And, um, she saw everything was like, you know, you're triple negative. Um, so chemotherapy is your first step. Okay. Based on the size, based on, um, for a triple negative, the majority of the time chemotherapy is automatically your first step. Um, and, and I knew that I had talked to a friend, um, prior who, like, I just feel like all the lucky things happen to me sometimes. A friend of mine had breast cancer. I hadn't talked to her in years. She lived in Florida, you know, probably for 10 years. And I just called her and was like, I hope this is still your number. I have cancer. I just need somebody to talk to that's had breast cancer. And when she, of course, she's super willing, like we all are, you know, and she had the same kind, the same type. Oh, wow. Almost the same size tumor on the same side. Oh my goodness. Um, but 10 years prior to me. So she basically walked me through my whole experience. Wow. Um, but when I, when I saw the doctor, you know, so that wasn't like a shock when she told me, um, but she was like, Hey, just, you know, like I have a friend, um, who's an oncologist at the research center over at honor. They are running a clinical trial right now for triple negative patients and you fit the demographic would you be interested because it has to happen so fast? Would you be interested in talking to her? Even if you don't do the trial, she's still an oncologist. She's still really fantastic. You know, she is who I would probably send you to anyways. Um, But just as far as a clinical trial goes, and I was like, absolutely. It wasn't even a question for me. Um, And I think that was really surprising for my family and a lot of my friends that I was just like, yes, (laughs) (laughs) And, and I did, I went to go see her. She actually made the appointment. And like I said, everything in my world happened so fast. She was like, she can see you tomorrow at eight o'clock. And oh my like, gosh. Great. Yeah. <laughs> like, great. Um, so I did. And I went in and she talked to me about the trial and I was like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I did, um, I did the same thing. I remember going in and you know, I mean, first of all, like the, the faces that you see, like there are just so many people that you see and it's usually like a, you know, a, um, a PA and then you see the doctor yeah. and then it's this and then it's that. And you're like, how many times do I have to tell my story? <laughs> yes. um, and I, yeah. I actually started, I have, and I probably still have it on my phone in my notes on my phone. I started to keep a journal of who everyone was and what they looked like. So I could remember oh, yeah. and like what they did. So I could yes. remember. That's a great yeah. idea. There's so many. <laughs> yeah, there are. So I mean, there are so many that they actually gave me a binder. And inside the binder had like, you know, one of those little plastic um, pages to put all the business cards in. And I'm like, yeah. am I really going to use I all had these? That. Oh, yeah. All of it. I <laughs> yeah. still have my binder. And I took them into a second binder. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just to, and I kept that binder like on my table. Yeah. It, and it had the tabs for like chemo, for surgery, yes. for whatever. Yeah. So that. My parents could look through, like, prescriptions. Like, right. if I needed a refill, my parents had access, like, whoever was carrying. My parents took the binder when I had surgeries okay. so that they could put, like, post-surgical information. Like, yeah, like, yeah. the binder was, it was like, a yeah, it was Bible. A, like. it, I know, it was, it was huge, first of all. But, yeah, it was filled yeah. with so much good information. And it was, yeah, it was great. I mean, um, I, ha- I still have mine, and it's, you know, yep. I'll be 14 years out or 
I think. I don't know. I forget. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 14 years out in March. So, um, yeah, I mean, I still have it, and I, I've looked through it and all of that stuff. But I did the same thing um, in terms of the clinical trial. Like, I was presented with that information pretty quickly in my experience, and I was like, hands down, absolutely yes. Um, yep. You know, I want to do whatever it is that I can to help somebody who later on, you know, yep. be it two years, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 down the line, um, that the yeah. information that I can give would be helpful for them in their treatment. So, yeah. And yeah. I felt like in an odd way, I felt like the re I, I did it for kind of those reasons, but in a really odd way, I did it for my family. Mm -hmm. I did it for my grandmothers and my uncle who all had cancer and passed away when my dad's mom had, I never met her. She passed away before I was born. Okay. Um, but she died of metastatic breast cancer and her option at the time she had cancer was the radical mastectomy. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was advanced medicine for her, exactly. for her generation. And I felt like I owed it to them that if I could do something, that I was going to do something. Yeah. And so really it was that. my, my way to pay homage to them. Yeah. I love that. Because we all stand on the shoulders of the people before us who raised their hand and said, yes, that's it. That's it. And that's what I have always thought about was, you know, um, my, my paternal grandmother had ovarian cancer, but my paternal great grandmother had, um, breast cancer. And that was, mm -hmm. you know, the same thing. It was the radical, radical mastectomy. I never got to meet her, um, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, I always think if, if she hadn't gone through that, they wouldn't know what to do with me, you know, however many years yeah. later when I was diagnosed, yeah. um, you know, and it's, yeah, I'm so I love that. Um, that just, <laughs> it's super touching. Um, and I think yeah. it's a great way, um, to pay homage to your family. So Quick question. Um, did you get tested for the mutation? So this is, you know, and we talked a little bit about having cervical dysplasia with no HPV. Yeah. So triple negative, having no, you know, hormone relation. I did the bracket testing and came out negative for that as well. So it's kind of a scary place for me when you think about, you know, I've had cancer twice okay. with no answers as to why. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I feel like, um, you know, I say, I say this all the time and my audience is probably like, we know Melissa, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but I, I feel like there's probably so many more mutations that are out there that yeah. just haven't been discovered yet. Um, yeah. You know, because, and it, it just doesn't make sense to me that, you know, somebody like you, you know, two, two times, right, that you've had this diagnosis yeah. and there's nothing, there's no reason why. Um, you yeah, know, I'm always like, well, it doesn't make any sense, right? Like we are all exposed to the same <laughs> air and water and food and, you know, so it's not all that, um, you know, there has to be something a little bit deeper and I don't believe it's all just, you know, bad luck and, you know, karma and, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's all there is to it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I know. Something in there. We just don't know what it is exactly, yet. Exactly. We are very complex um, beings, us humans. So um, yeah. so what was the recommendation in terms of um, like surgery? Did you do a mastectomy? Did they encourage a mastectomy? Um, they did not. I. It's really interesting. When I first saw the surgeon, she's like, early in the game, you need to go get chemo, see the oncologist, I'll see you in like six months, you know, or five months, whenever it is. Um, and 
she was like, given that it's one tumor, it's, uh, you know, isolated on the size. She's like, you know, should chemotherapy go well and it shrinks the size of the tumor, you are the perfect candidate for a lumpectomy where they just go in, remove the tumor and be done. And I was like, and, um, I was like, "Mm, let's just do the mastectomy, the double mastectomy. And she was like, you know, it is pretty invasive to do that. And I was like, I'm 38. The average, like my whole family lives until their eighties and nineties on a regular basis. Like that's 50 years (laughs) of potential. I was like, no. And she's like, you know, if you're really concerned too, like there's, so she went through all the options. She's like, you know, we could do just the single mastectomy. And I was like, no, that's not an option. <laughs> She's like, why? I'm like, because I can't have a 24-year-old and a 7-year-old at the same table. Like, <laughs> my, my, my girl's got a match. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it is. Like, she, my surgeon was like, that is the best description I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, genuinely, yes. <laughs> totally. And, and so I was like, you know, so if I'm going to do it and reconstruct, like, cause I was done having children, I had had my tubes tied years prior. Like I was like, you know, I'm not hate, like if I was, you know, in my twenties or my early thirties and still wanted to have children and consider breastfeeding, cause that was important to me, you know, that it would be one thing. But at that point I was like, it's, we're good. Um, so I, I opted even with, you know having lumpectomy as a choice opted to do a double mastectomy. Okay. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, and one of the reasons why I love to do this podcast is because everybody's story is so different and, you know, the choices that we make are, you know, the choices that we make for ourselves. Um, Yeah. You know, and it, and it has to feel right. You know, it has to fit. And, um, you know, I, I always try to encourage people to understand that, you know, whatever decision you make, it's your decision. Um, yeah. And there's no right or wrong in this. Um, no. You know, we all just kind of do the best that we can with the information that we have. Yeah. Um, and I often encourage people like, you you know you better than you and yeah. kind of in a weird way, try to think about your future self. You right. know, when I opted against radiation, people like, are you sure? And I'm like, no, I'm sure. Right. And I, I didn't need to, we can talk about that in a minute, but I'm like, you know, and, and my surgeon said that she's like, think about you in, in five years and in 10 years, like if you don't do a mastectomy and there's a reoccurrence, are you going to regret it? Or are you going to be like, I did everything I could at the time. Right. And this is just what it is. And so that's how I, I approached a lot of the decisions that I made. Like yeah. is if I, if I looked back on myself, you know, in five years and 10 years, would I be okay with what I'm doing right now? Exactly. And I was confident in the decisions that I made. Yeah. So what was it about radiation that you decided that you didn't want to do it? Well, it was an option. So given, you know, I think for most people, if anyone's not understanding the world of cancer, you're like, it's a lot of if this, then this, and it depends on, you know, your stage, your type, your grade. So everyone's outcome is a little different. And Given that I did chemotherapy first, full blown, um, and a double mastectomy was way more than I needed when I could have had a lumpectomy, there was no lymph nodes involved when they did um, the biopsy of my lymph nodes. And so for me, 
they, my oncologist was like, you, you still got to do your due diligence. She's like, you're, you're a researcher. I love to do research. She's like, do your due diligence. You don't have to based on your diagnosis, your surgery, you know, um, the results that you've shown, um, you don't have to, it's not necessary, but do your due diligence. And I did. And I, I actually got two opinions on radiation. Um, and my second doctor really kind of played devil's advocate. He's like, what, what is the thing that's bothering you? And I said, you know, I think when I look at my pathology report, it doesn't really say, it just says, um, uh, no live cancer present. And I was like, but it never says, was there ever cancer present or were they never affected? Mm. And he was like, you're right. He's like, so let's find out the answer. So he, he called pathology. He had them pull all my slides and he had them verify that information. And had I, he's like, so he's like, if you ever had cancer and there was like necrosis and the cancer had died out, would you do radiation? And I was like, yes, I absolutely would, you know, and it turns out that there was never any cancer present present. And that was the deciding okay. factor for yeah. me. Yeah. Well, and I love that. I mean, I, um, I'm a huge researcher as well. <laughs> um, I would say that I became more so after I was diagnosed with cancer, though. Um, you know, the yeah. initial part of it, I was just like, I, yes, absolutely. Like, do whatever, um, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, And that's why I always say, like, mm -hmm. you just make the decisions with the information that you have at the time that you have it. Um, you know, would yeah. I have done things differently? Probably. Um, you know, but I don't regret anything that I did or didn't do. Um, yeah. and I think you brought up another great point for me too, is, you know, looking down the line, right? Like, um, I was prescribed tamoxifen and it was terrible for my body. And the only reason I, I did the five years is because I was part of a clinical trial where it was required and I was very committed to seeing that through, but I yeah. was miserable and I hated it. It was awful. Yeah. My quality of life was terrible. Um, yeah. And I, and I did the same thing. You know, I, once I had my hysterectomy and oophorectomy, they wanted me to go on an, an aromatase inhibitor and I still have the script. I never fulfilled it and I never took it. Um, not to be, you know, defiant, but because right. when I looked down the line, five to 10 years, I didn't want it to be what it was the previous five years. Yeah. So I love that you say that because I think that's really important. Um, you know, and nobody can dictate that for you. Like it has oh, to be, yeah. you know, it has to be your and every, choice. Yeah. And everybody's body reacts different to yes. all of that. And I think when I started getting into, you know, understanding, you do so much research on your own kind that when I started to talk to women about triple negative, um, and everyone's like, ah, oh, triple negative. And I was like, I'll take triple negative any day of the week over what you guys are doing. Because with triple negative, you do your chemotherapy, you do your radiation, and you're done. Like huh. surgery. Yeah. There's not years of follow-up of all of the hormone-based. And when I listen to women, and, and if that's, you know, the modern medicine in the course of treatment, but when I hear about just the effects that all those long-term treatments have 
I'm like, I'll, I'll take triple negative any day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, and that's interesting. One and done. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, cause the reality is, is that, you know, for, for many of us, when we hear triple negative, like we're like, <gasps> you know, like there's a big yeah. gasp because it is considered, you know, one of the most difficult to treat just because yeah. there isn't that extra stuff. Um, yeah. so that's an interesting perspective. Um, but you're right. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you're right for you. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, for me. <laughs> I, I, yeah. And I don't want to say like, you know, anybody else has those same feelings. Um, you know, but you're right in terms of for triple negative, it's this, this, and this, and then, you mm-hmm. know, for the, the ER and the PR positive or the, you know, uh, triple positive, there's even more, you know, so it's, it's, kind of this lifelong journey, yeah. I suppose, of taking these medications that not for nothing have side yeah, effects yeah. that are, you know, it's additional cancers that are some of the side effects. Yeah. And you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I think that, you know, when you get into the world of cancer and when people are like triple negatives, the worst, I think they're all the worst. You know, I have That's a friend true. that had yes. thyroid cancer. She didn't have to go through the typical treatments, but cancer is still cancer. Like yeah. I don't, it sucks no I matter what kind it is. Yeah. Like it's still fearful. You're still asking the same questions. You yeah. still are confused. You have to learn a whole vocabulary of medical, you know, terms to right. talk, you know, and speak with your doctors with confidence. And yes. so I don't think any of them are good. I don't, you know, no, it, it doesn't matter when you hear it. It doesn't matter what kind it is. Exactly. It's just yeah, and it's always and it's always kind of, you know, I feel like I feel like now that I'm you know close to fourteen years out, um, I don't have it so much. Um, I have to be honest and tell you that fifteen does scare me a little bit. I had a friend that yeah. um, she made it to fifteen years cancer free. You know, was was great. And I don't usually use that term, so I don't even know why I said it. But yeah. um, <laughs> but you know, she didn't have any kind of evidence of active you know, disease going on and she got to 15 years and like out of the blue, it just popped up. Um, yeah. So that 15 years, it's just, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of in the back of my mind because I, you know, I, I adored my friend, Nancy. She was the sweetest, kindest person. And um, I was devastated when she passed. Um, yeah. Because she, and I think she was the one that gave me hope. Yeah. You know, And I think that that, I remember watching, um, PBS, The Cancer Emperor of All Maladies, when that series came, and I loved it. Um, And I remember there was a woman being interviewed, and she talked about that little monkey on your back that's just always there. It's always the reminder, no matter how far out you are. And I remember this year, earlier this year, I hit my five-year anniversary. And I don't know, like, it it was a great thing, like, very celebratory, but it's a scary thing because I'm like, who's watching me? Yeah. Like, what do you mean I'm not going to see you every six months? Right. (laughs) Can we just go have coffee? Yeah, when they start releasing the reins a little bit, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) I like all my people. I like what we're doing. And so I had that, you know, that moment. And, you know, you have to, learning to walk through fear is probably one of the biggest lessons that anyone going through cancer has to learn. You know, we all deal with it in some form or fashion, but learning how to, to move forward is, is hard. You know, sometimes it's stiffening. And and I was having just, a, you know, a moment with it this year and kind of reflecting on all the things. And a friend of mine's cousin who lives in Mesa, 
um, super young, uh, was diagnosed within a month of me, both, you know, also triple negative. Um, she was actually my first podcast interviewee, um, just had a daughter this year and a few weeks ago was re-diagnosed. And, you know, that kind of brought up a lot in me of like, God, if I'm not going to, you know, and there's a plan, my, my primary care, my oncologist, we made a plan that I see them both annually, but six months apart. So I'm always seeing a doctor every six months, but still it, it, it It, never goes away. That itch in the back of your brain never goes away. Yeah. And I'd like to, I'd like to, I'd like to meet somebody who did. I'm going to be like, show me the way Yoda. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, I don't think that I've, I don't think that I have met anyone that, you know, hasn't kind of had a little, even just a little bit, right? Like it's just, it's always there, you know, you know that that possibility is always there. And, um, you know, and not that I, I try really hard not to focus on that. I mean, I focused on it pretty heavily in the beginning. Um, you know, now I, now I don't, you know, cancer isn't the first thing that I think about when I wake up and it's not the last thing I think about when I close my eyes at night. Um, yeah. you know, I've, I've moved away from that. And so, you know, there, there is kind of that light at the end of the tunnel, but there's still that, that concern and that worry. And, you know, it, it you just never know. I mean, that's the hard yeah. part. Um, so, yeah. And I think that there's that moment to the exhaustion of it, you yes. know, and probably like the, that three year marker where like, you talk about cancer all the time. And I remember having this moment where I was like, I wonder how many days I can go without <laughs> saying the word cancer. And I'd be like, three days. I was like, well, blew it. <laughs> start square one. And, and even with, I think what I learned to do is also shift the conversation. Yes. You know, my friends would get together with me and, and want to know how I'm doing in a really, and I was like, can we, can you just tell me like what a jerk your husband is for not picking up right? the socks off the floor? And like, can you bitch about work for a minute? Cause yes. people are afraid to complain to you they when you're are. going through cancer. And I was like, that's, and that's where the solid came for Like the people that I worked with and my really good group of friends, I was like, please, please just tell me how bad work was today. Like, just, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, we will definitely get to the topic of me and surgery and all the things but like I just need to not talk about it yeah like look misery loves company but I don't want you over on this side of it and I'm tired of like hearing my own story so can we can I get a little bit like just a little bit um and it's so true and I was straight with them about it I was like just please complain about your day please you know and and when I told people that, I was like, I do nothing but talk about me, my cancer, my diagnosis, how things are going, how I'm yes. feeling. What I was like, I just like, if you really want to help me, let me breathe for a minute yeah. and let me, you know, laugh for a minute. And the the guys at work were great. They were like, because we all have a really dark sense of humor in the restaurant industry, but like <laughs> they had no problems making fun of me, <laughs> like, which was so good. Like, yes, you know? I need this. I need somebody to yeah, make fun of like, me. <laughs> I remember like my friend and I were like stocking the, the wine shelves and I was just giving her a hard time, like a super hard time. And she's like, I'm going to take you outside and kick your ass. And then there was like the YouTube video is going to be called kicking cancer's ass. <laughs> <laughs> And, oh my god! And I needed that. Like yes. I needed people to still not look at me with sad eyes and just yes. treat me like me because I still had a sense of humor and I still had, you know, laughter to be had. And I think that that's 
the, one of the most precious gems is that I, I really did realize what a core group of really great people I had because they would listen and, and they weren't afraid to be around me. They weren't afraid yeah. to like jab at me, which yeah. was great. Well, and that's, yeah. And I, I come from a place too of where humor was a like a huge part of my recovery. If I didn't have the humor yeah. in my life that I had, I don't know that I would have done as well. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I, you know, I feel the same way. I needed that laughter. I needed, you know, I, I spent so much time crying and worrying about that piece of my life with cancer that I didn't want to have that be the other parts of my life, you know, my relationships yeah. and my friendships. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't want it to always be carrying over to that part of my life. Yeah. I wanted it kind of compartmentalized, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so grateful that you had that group of people. Um, right, the, and, the and that was the hard part for my my parents. That was the one hard thing for me because both of their parents and my dad's older brother, which was his best friend, mm-hmm. like they sat by their bedsides through yeah. chemo and radiation and hospice and surgery. And so when I got the news, I couldn't tell them in person, like after I got home and like regrouped myself, I packed a bag and drove straight to Tucson and I told my parents in person because wow. that was just not news I could deliver. And yeah. so learning to when like my parents, their reaction was like, they showed up at my doorstep with their like car full. They're like, well, we're just going to live with you until this is <laughs> over. And I was like, no, <laughs> I love the gesture, but mm, no. <laughs> oh God, no. And, and so learning to like really, I, I did have to like, like you guys, I love you, but you got to go. Yeah. Like, like the way that I need to deal with this is like, and I'm, you know, and of course, like you don't need us. And I was like, I need you and I do want you here, but I don't need you 24 hours a day. And I don't need you. Like my mom would just cry. Like yeah. she'd look at me and just cry. I'm like, I can't, I can't yeah, do no. that. Like mm-mm. that, mm-mm, like I'm too strong and sassy for that. And I was like, I feel like you guys are looking at me waiting for me to die. Cause that's been your experience. Right. You know, valid, absolutely valid. Um, but let me be me. And so, but I was like, I want you there. It's so great to have them there on like my chemo days. And so we, we came up with like the compromise where they would come up. One of them would come up every other, every week and they would like change off. They would stay with me for a couple of days and then they would head back. And, and it was a relief for them too, because my dad's like, Oh, then I can go have, you know, dinner with my friend this yes. weekend. Or my mom's like, I, and I was like, don't stop your life. And as like, you know, with surgeries and stuff, they, they did stay longer, but right. that was, that was a hard one when it comes to the people in my life, because I couldn't imagine when I look at, I have a daughter, mm-hmm. like I would be the same. I'd be like, so I'm moving in. <laughs> I just want to be near you. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, I think, um, you make a really great point, you know, and I, I think the hard part is that, the people that are around us that genuinely want to help, they don't always necessarily know exactly how to help or what it is that we need. But I think you make a really great point that, you know, it is okay to say like, this is what I need from you. This is how I need to be supported because I was very similar to you. I, I had my family there when I really genuinely needed them. But the other part of the time, like I just needed to do this on my own. 
Um, yeah. You know, there were a lot of times where I just, I would meet them at the hospital. You know, I wouldn't even have them stay the night with me. I would meet them at the hospital. They would drive me home. And then I'm like, okay, now it's time to go back home. Um, yeah. You know, but I think that's really important. And I think that having those boundaries and knowing what it is that you need um, is really important. And being able to articulate that to the people who are supporting you is Yeah, is and I think with like the parent child relationship like like my love language is so different than my mother's like my mother is a hover she wants to be around you she wants to make soup she wants to check your forehead where and she and that's what she likes where I'm like can you just leave me like a cup of hot tea and like let me be and let me be in my peace and quiet and so I think that on top of maneuvering through cancer and all that it's worth that's kind of also what made our relationship better is that like we had to like hash these things out, yeah. you know, and we had to like say that this is what I want. I, I got a lot better of just being like, you know, I prefer this, but I don't prefer this. And so did my parents. Yeah. You know, cause it disrupted their lives Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I so love it that. was, it was an interesting time <laughs> and we all for got sure. through it. That's it. That's it. Well, I want to say thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, for sharing your time with me and your story. And um, I, I know that our listeners are going to walk away with this with some really great information. Um, so again, thank you. You know, thank you for having me. Um, you know, anything I can do to help at any time, let me know. And I wish you a great holiday. Yes. I don't know when this is going to air, but like, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Exactly. <laughs> Happy 2021. Let's hope that things are much better. <laughs> I know. It will be. It will Absolutely. Be. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.